Sorry to disappoint you So what was your expectation? Nah, I'm just an everyday dude Oh, you expected perfection? This is what Christianity is supposed to be like I make mistakes Like, lots of mistakes I'm just trying to do the best that I can do I guess I'm just imperfectly human Welcome to the Imperfectly Human podcast. I am your host, Mr. Daly, and I want to thank you for joining me on another week of the Imperfectly Human podcast. This week, I have with me Susan Gabriel. Sorry, Susan. (laughs) And Susan is a former activist and author. Her book, Wheels of Injustice is available now on Amazon and there will be a link in the show notes so you can go and pick up a copy of her book. So we will be chatting with Susan. So before we get into that, I just want to thank you for tuning in. I want to thank all of our listeners from Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, tune in wherever you are listening in from. I appreciate you. Um, For those of you that know me, you will know that I am Mr. Daly and I am the principal consultant of Yellow 8. Yellow 8 is a business consultancy, a business design consultancy. And we basically my job is to help others shine. And what I mean by that is I help them with their um, processes and understanding how to construct their business and the, the, the the architecture of their business, the fundamentals that sit as the foundations of a business to make it work, um, documenting processes, ensuring that everything ticks, getting the user design and the user journey and the user experience right, the functionality of their websites and web applications, and then the analytics to wrap it all up. Um, We help people with getting noticed online and all the fun things that you need in business to grow and to thrive and to work efficiently. Um, If you want to know more about Yellow 8, please visit www.yellow8.co.uk and you can contact me at Mr. Daily on all your favorite social media platforms. So I am going to introduce my guest. As I said, Susan Gabriel is is an author and a former activist Um, Her book, Wheels of Injustice, is available on Amazon and you can pick that up today. Susan, how are you? I'm great, thanks. So what time is it over there? Um, It's 1.18 p.m. Oh, wow. Nice. (laughs) Still middle of the day. You still got a whole day ahead of you. (laughs) Yeah, I do. I do. (laughs) Okay, so I will not keep you too too long. before we get into it, let's start with the usual icebreaker question. Susan, what is your favorite genre of music and why? My favorite genre is uh, contemporary Christian. Uh, the reason for that is because God speaks to me through music. Um, there are so many times that I will be listening I'll be working and listening at the same time and not really paying much attention to the song that's playing. And all of a sudden, uh, one of the lines from the song will just like pop out at me. And it's like a message and it, it it's it's relevant to whatever is going on in my life. So um, it's it's a really wonderful way to commune with God, you know, to feel like I've, I'm in a connection with him all day long. 
Uh, that's my favorite genre. My second favorite is uh, kind of unusual. Um, it's a genre that my friend uh, who lives in Nigeria introduced me to, which is Afrobeats. Oh, wow. <laughs> he's, he's a whiz kid fan. I mean, probably number one whiz kid fan in the world. Awesome. <laughs> so, so he introduced me to whiz kid and I really like him too. He's great. I really enjoy a lot of his music. And then, uh, you know, I got into Burn a Boy and a few others, but whiz kid, of course, has to be number one. Awesome. <laughs> For awesome. Afrobeats, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you would fit right, you would fit in in my house. We are <laughs> we are massive Afrobeat fans. And similarly to you, um, I'd say gospel and contemporary Christian music is probably one of my favorite genres. Um, and it must be an INFJ thing because... God speaks to me through music as well. It's something that's mm -hmm. always happened mm -hmm. since uh, a very young, young age. I would be praying about something and listening to um, and, uh, Fred Hammond or maybe Dawkins and Dawkins or BB and CC and on my way to university or to college or whatever. And a line would jump out at me and it would mm -hmm. be just what I'd been praying about. And it would be, basically God telling me exactly what I needed to hear mm -hmm. at the time when I needed it. So I can yeah. absolutely relate to what you said. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really great. And uh, my background, um, I was taken to church a lot when I was young and uh, the church I was in, uh, we, they did a confirmation. It was a Lutheran church and we had to memorize large portions of the Bible. Um, and that, is another thing that comes back to me very frequently. Um, uh, just a Bible verse will just pop into my head um, that just seems to be totally relevant to whatever it is that yeah. I'm, I'm praying about. So that that kind of background is really wonderful to have that you could just, you know, rely yeah. on it. And I think that's something that's really missing in today's um, perception of, of Christianity or, or how probably not perception, but um, how Christians today relate to scripture. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of Christians today are comfortable with being spoon fed from the, from the altar and don't really engage in the Bible themselves. Um, mm -hmm. When I was growing up, it was, you know, it, we had memory verse challenges and things like that at, at church. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And um you know, it, it's it's in the Bible. It says, uh, meditate on my words. So mm -hmm. it, I believe God wants us to know the scriptures so that in tough times, mm -hmm. they he can just pop that scripture into your head and remind you of his promises so that you yes. don't despair and you don't fear and all those things that he promises us. Yes, exactly. And it, that saved my life at, at one point in my life. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, when we get more into what's in my book. Cool. Well, with that, let's jump straight <laughs> into it then. So um, can you share with the listeners who you are and what your business is? And I guess we're, we're going to be talking about your book and your uh -huh. activism. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, yes. Um, I have uh, worked in business development, but um, that's been, to me, it's almost like a, uh, it's a full-time job, but 
Um, it, it's not where my brain is full time. I guess I would put it that way. Um, I've always been bored if I haven't had a, like something else going on in my life. So I always am very busy, um, you know, outside of work. Um, and my, my writing, I I've enjoyed writing for years and years, and it's taken me a lot of different directions. Um, but the direction that has taken me in the last three years is uh, to complete a book that I started 30 years ago. And that book that I started 30 years ago was about an, an event that took place back in the 80s. Very, very dramatic event. Um, it was uh, something that at one point I tried to kill myself uh, because it was so disturbing to me. And I prayed to God. I said, God, if you, if you don't want me to die, you're going to have to do something because I actually did take enough pills uh, to kill myself. Um, and God miraculously saved me that. And I described that whole story in my book. So um, that's something you might want to, you know, pick up the book. Oh, the book. This is what it looks like. I'll show you. A, but right now it's just available in ebook form, but it will eventually be out in paperback and hardback too. Uh, but the the story, that situation that led to me being an activist, I am not the kind of person who would normally be an activist. I'm an introvert. I hate the limelight. Um, I, I, I don't like to step out. I don't like to do public speaking. Um, I do it when I have to now. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, what happened was my husband was falsely accused of a child molestation, my daughter, when she was nine years old. Um, The way that it came about, I knew it was a false accusation right from the very beginning. Um, The Department of Social Services, though, in the 80s, a lot of people were being falsely accused because the way the laws were set up back then, um, they're different now. uh, But back then, they were set up in such a way that there were people getting uh, falsely accused pretty often. Um, and the Department of Social Services, the way they reacted was to just immediately remove my daughter. They told me that I had to um, keep my husband out of the home. It would be better if I divorced him. I'd only been married for six weeks. Oh, wow. um, so, uh, you know, I was faced with the decision of what do I do? I, I know that he's not guilty of this. And that what they were accusing him of was so uh innocent. I mean, it was tickling. And I knew that he tickled her because they were buddies. They were best buddies. They used to play together like um, he, he's just like that. He's he's a kid himself. And she would she loved to hang on him. She would hang on him and he would tickle her under her armpits to make her let go because she wouldn't let go any other way. And uh, so there, there was never any allegation at all in the beginning of anything. So uh, I was completely confused by their assumption that that was child abuse and child molestation and that that for that reason, they needed to take her from the home. Um, So they, they took her and they said I had to kick out Clark. Um, But we talked to an attorney and also to a, a psychologist. Uh, they recommended that we not have Clark move out because they said that would be taken as an admission of guilt. Yeah. So he didn't move out. Um, the 
they tried really, really hard to pressure me into forcing the issue and for sticking up with them. I, it was killing me. They had her in foster care for a while, and that really disturbed me because it wasn't a really good place for her and it wasn't a particularly good home. Eventually, they took her out and put her with my ex-husband, which I was much more pleased about that it was a better situation for her. So so that helped. But then we still had looming over our heads my husband's trial. They charged him with a felony. Wow. And um, the penalty for it was 16 years in prison, what they charged him him with. And um, so we, we had to fight it at that point. There was we really had no choice. We went from one uh, defense attorney to another, to another, to another, and no one would take the case. They all said, you're just going to have to complete, have a plea bargain of some kind. You'll have to agree to a plea bargain. And Clark refused. He knew that he was innocent and he did not want to do a plea bargain. Uh, we finally found a corporate attorney who felt sorry for us. <laughs> and uh, he was very sweet and he took our case. And he'd never done uh, any kind of felony um, defense whatsoever. So he had to bone up on it. Uh, and um, it, it just, the, the stress got to me. It was, it was just getting to be so difficult to function. And I was still trying to work, you know, we had lots and lots of bills to pay. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that was at, at one point I got, I got so stressed out that I had decided to kill myself. And I, like I said, I talk about it in the book, but um, then um, I didn't die. <laughs> God didn't let me die. <laughs> so, so then I had to go back and face the music and, and continue on uh, with uh, supporting Clark. And we went through the trial just before we went to trial, the, District attorney offered Clark a plea bargain that was called a uh, deferred prosecution. And that meant that if he did not do anything criminal for a year, that they would um, they would drop the charges and which is more or less dropping the charges. But Clark said no, he no plea bargains. So we went to trial. The judge was so angry with us. Then he said that he was going to give all of our paperwork to his former law partner because he thought that our attorney was not giving Clark good advice. Um, so he, we, the former law partner got all of the paperwork, all of the reports, all of the psychology analyses and everything that had transpired up to that point. He did a review of it and he wrote back a letter to our attorney and he said, normally I would agree that this is something that Mr. Gabriel should go ahead and accept the plea bargain. But he said, but in this case, I, I agree with him. He should not. This case should not be kept alive. He said it's because it's very clear that Mr. Gabriel is not guilty. And um, then he went through 7.7 .7 reasons why he said that it all the paperwork proved that Clark was not guilty. He said that um, that if they do not drop the charges and he that he should go ahead and go through trial. And then he said afterwards that he should then sue everybody. <laughs> so, so, so we had some really strong support at that point, um, unexpected support. Uh, but 
that didn't change anything. They continued to pursue it. They just said wow. they were going to go forward with trial. And at that point, the judge was so angry at my husband that he told our attorney that he was going to give Clark 16 years in prison if Clark was found guilty. So so we were facing that the full maximum sentence. Um, and we went to trial. Uh, the trial took about three days. Um, and uh, we just you know, told the truth the way it was. We, I go into detail in my book and it, it's pretty fascinating the way the trial was, had taken place. But uh, afterwards, about three hours after the trial was complete, the jury came back and uh, they came back and it was not guilty. Uh, and I, I was standing up there, they announced the not guilty verdict and I just started crying and then at that point, the judge released the jury and the jury, instead of just leaving, they came over to us and they had tears in their eyes and they were crying and they were hugging us and said they were so sorry that we had to go through this kind of, of uh, situation wow. and trauma. So that was very uh, <laughs> amazing, amazing. But through that situation, now I thought they would let Sarah come home, my daughter, Emily, that they would let Emily come home um, at that point, but they continued to pursue the civil case. They called it dependency and neglect. So I was still being charged with not protecting Emily oh from God. child abuse when there was no child abuse. So uh, they continued to pursue it because they were really angry at, at all of this, at the way it had gone, uh, that they weren't getting their way. Um, but uh, I found out, at the about three weeks after the trial ended, I found out that I was pregnant. And um, then the next major occurrence was I found out that uh, uh, they, they set a dependency and neglect hearing where they were going to take me to trial and we're going to try to take away all of my parental rights. Um, and that was set scheduled for a Monday. And on the, the Friday before that day, that Monday, I went to the obstetrician and I found out the baby had died. Oh, no. And they um, they said they couldn't do the surgery until Monday. So Monday morning was going to be this trial. And then Monday afternoon, I was going to have to go into the hospital to have the surgery. And I, at that point, I was just like beaten. I was just so beaten. I said... I, all right, I will sign whatever you want me to sign. I can't go through any more of this. And uh, so we went ahead and uh, signed away my parental rights at that point. Um, and but we they I was going to be allowed to have some visitation with her, all supervised until uh, such time as a social worker uh, who was in charge of our reunification, my my ability to be with her. Um, like have her come over for a weekend, for example. The social worker was in charge of when that was going to happen. Now, it had been two years. It was two years later. So she'd been gone for two years when they were still trying to, you know, keep her out of my home. Um, and then I decided that we would put a clause in there that said that if we thought it was taking too long, that we would be allowed to have a second opinion. Um, so 
another year passed by and she was still trying to say that my daughter was not able to be reunified into this family that she should never have been taken out of in the first place. So all of this time while this was going on, uh, I started fighting. Um, I started, uh, I wrote letters to the newspaper. I called people. I went on talk shows. Uh, I did everything I could to start publicizing what was happening. And I found there were other people who were going through similar situations. So uh, we had a, um, a support group. I contacted people in other states that I found out had similar kinds of organizations. Um, we started a, a nonprofit, uh, um, like, a, an, a, a, it was called Vocal Victims of Child Abuse Laws. And there were other vocals in other states. Um, so we were not the first, but we had one of the largest um, memberships. And uh, eventually we started a magazine. Uh, we started putting out a magazine. We had an 1-800 number. I got the attention of the national media. They published our 1-800 number and the phone never stopped ringing. All the people that were had been accused, all the people who wanted help. Um, so, so it was a huge job. I mean, it was, it was really quite a lot. We had a lot of volunteers. Um, we rented a space. We decided to start a business so that we could support the nonprofit. So we, 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 they share, we had them share a space. You know, we had on one, in one side of the uh, space was our typesetting and graphic design business that we started. And then the other half of it was the nonprofit. Um, so that, that was a way that we were able to support the nonprofit. And it was also a way that we were able to publish. We published magazines. Uh, we published articles. We published all kinds of things um, and sent them out. Uh, we got the attention of someone from who is a former uh, uh, journalist, like from with the New York Times. And he was writing a book about people who'd been falsely accused. So he wanted to include our story in the book. Uh, so he did. And I gave him names of a few other people um, that he also included in the book. Uh, then it came time for publication, and he was uh, in, invited to go on the, um, it's a very big show here called the Today Show. Um, and he went on the Today Show, and then they sent a camera crew out to take pictures and to take video of my husband and my daughter and myself. And they interviewed us. So we were then, we were on national TV at that point. So wow. we, we got attention like crazy. Um, and the man who was the author of this book decided to, he was going to continue on with this work. And he started an organization called the national, um, national, uh, uh, co coalition for the, uh, um, what is it? The, oh, for um, child protection reform, uh, National Coalition of Child Protection Reform. And they did it on a federal level. So he started working on the federal laws uh, on getting those laws changed because this whole thing stemmed from, from some federal laws that had forced state laws to change. Uh, my husband and I were invited to be on a task force to change our state's laws. So we helped to make re recommendations to change uh, the laws of the state. Uh, and I'm an introvert, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> but I did all that. <laughs> and wow. uh, it was, it, it was, it, it was because I was so 
angry, my introversion was, I, I you know, took a back seat. <laughs> well, that's what I've noticed. So, um, um, by the way, you've answered so many of my other questions. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, in, um, but I, I was listening to something today and he, the guy that was speaking, he, he quite similarly, he was talking, he started a podcast called Dope Black Dads. And it was to counteract this stereotype that black males are absent, uh, absent parents. Uh-huh. And because there are so many of us that aren't, there are so yeah. many of us that are active in our children's lives and, you know, play a very active role in our children's lives. So he wanted to show another side to it. And he said, um, they asked him what his view was on finding your purpose. And he said, um, your purpose is either something that motivates you enough to want to it, it motivates and exi- excites you enough to want to do to be part of it and to you know always connect with it mm-hmm. or it's something that infuriates you and <laughs> um, upsets you so much that you want to change it mm-hmm. and <laughs> I believe that that's what happens and it pulls us out of our comfort zone because it hits that trigger that um, God has put inside of us mm-hmm. that makes us want to act. And and it's weird because I'm passionate about, <laughs> I'm passionate about business. I'm passionate about um, entrepreneurship and people doing it for themselves. I'm passionate about people getting a seat at the table when they are, Um, or people creating their own tables if they won't be given a seat at the table. And that's, uh, so, you know, for me, that's stemmed from people telling me that um, I would never progress past middle management. Mm -hmm. And that infuriated me because I knew what I was capable of. So I decided I was never going to settle for anything less than what I was capable of. And yeah. that's what pushed me towards entrepreneurship. Um, fast forward, I've had similar experiences to you where I've felt unduly and unfairly prosecute, uh, persecuted by um, the, your equivalent of the in- Inland Revenue Services. Mm-hmm. Um, I've felt uh, hard done by, by um, advisors that I took on Um, to help me with tax situations. And, you know, and I remember when I was going through the difficult times with, with um, over tax and things like that, I would try and explain to, to, I would try and explain to them that this is, no, this is what's going on. This bank account here is for me to save for tax. And I, transfer the money into that account to save for the tax. And when the tax bill is due, I transfer it back to the primary account and I pay the tax bill. And I remember being accused of running um, a fraudulent scheme of um, having a a sort of a shell company that just, (laughs) that was used to siphon funds out of my primary business account. And I was like, I was like, it clearly says uh-huh. savings account. 
Why are you? And I remember writing letters and being completely ignored. Mm-hmm. And it was like someone had already made a decision of what they wanted the outcome to be. And it didn't matter mm-hmm. what I said, the mm-hmm. outcome was already set in stone. Yeah. But then I realized that God allowed me to go through that for a reason, because there are so many people that go through the same experience and suffer in silence and eventually turn away from something that they are passionate about or something um, that is their purpose because of a difficult or turbulent experience. But God wants to use us as light and as salt in this world Mm -hmm. to shine a light and show people that with him, anything is possible. Even if you go through a Job moment where everything is stripped and taken away from Mm -hmm. you, he can restore more than what you ever had. And, you know, take you to new levels, but you just have to have that faith and believe and that, willingness to hand everything over to him Mm -hmm. and um the other thing that that jumped out to me whilst you were talking um the attorney that reviewed the case you said he came back with seven points Mm -hmm. and the first thing that came to my mind was you know seven is god's number of perfection Mm -hmm. and and he he was pointing towards a perfect exoneration of your husband Mm -hmm. and you know to me that was just beautiful when 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 I got that revelation um, yeah. and then the, the last thing I would because I, I there's so much Susan I mean <laughs> we're probably going to have to have another conversation but yeah um, the other thing that jumped out to me was I shared a similar experience um, when I was going through some really tough times and I didn't want to because I didn't know how to process all the emotions and everything I was going through and I became overwhelmed. I did a similar thing. Um, And just fortunately for me, my wife came downstairs in time to catch me trying to take as many pills as I could to end it all. And, and she intervened. And I always believe God puts the right people in your lives at the right time. Mm -hmm. You know, just like you said, you know, you ask God, well, if, if if you still want me here, then you're mm-hmm. going to have to do something about this. And he never fails. Yeah. He never fails the to intervene. interesting thing apart about that part was that I drove up in the mountains. I was alone when I wow. took those pills. And the last thing I remember is I laid down on a rock prepared to die. And that the next thing that I remember was sitting on a curb outside a grocery store. So, <laughs> uh, God works in miraculous ways. So yes. the miracle that he performed to, to make sure that I did not die uh, is it's in the book, but it, it, it's pretty amazing. You know what, what happened and, and um, how I was actually saved from saved from myself. Yeah. Wow. So what, <laughs> this sounds like such a, <laughs> It sounds like such a silly question, but I will Uh ask, what do you feel that experience taught you about yourself, about your um, entrepreneurial nature? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, just what did it it release in you? Yeah. You know, uh, it taught me that uh, I can overcome. I can overcome a lot of things that... 
I never, as a younger person, would have ever believed that I could have gone through and 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 survived and and actually came out uh, a, a better person and um, and actually feeling closer to God. Uh, I mean, when I when uh, I lost the baby, uh, I was done. I mean, I was done with God. I told God, I I don't believe in you anymore. You're going to have to prove to me you exist. If you're if you really exist, prove it to me. And I'm not going to pray anymore. I didn't pray. I didn't do anything. And God did. He showed me. It took it took quite a while, but he took me step by step by the hand and brought me back to him and showed me that he's real. And um and I have no doubt in my life now that you know he's a very big part of my life and um my whole life is, of course, I just dedicate it to him because, and I want to do what he wants me to do. Uh, so what I do in the future will be what he wants me to do as I continue to to be led. Um, right now, I'm, you know, getting this book published, uh, getting the word out about it. I feel like the thing is being an, an introvert like I am now, I don't necessarily have anything pushing at me uh, like I did. I, you know, when I was accused, I was angry. I just could not stop being angry about it. But now uh, I, I am more uh, being pushed by, I guess, the Holy Spirit to get the word out about the book, to get the word yes. out about, because the, the overarching theme of my book is forgiveness. And there are some chapters at the end of my book that I won't go into here, but you won't believe them. I mean, they're absolutely unbelievable, even even more unbelievable than the story I just told you. Wow. <laughs> and that God brought me back out of that. And uh, he, you know, I, God just gets my gratitude all the time for everything for my whole life. And I, uh, w- my job now is to get the word out about the book, about what God does for people. Um, about how I believe everybody should turn their lives over to him because he knows best and he, he loves, he loves you more than you can ever imagine. Um, and I experienced all that, you know, from feeling like he must hate me, uh, to make me go through all of this to really understanding that he did that out of love and yes. that he continues to hold me, you know, and, and love me. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So um, in all of that, how did you, because I can, I can just imagine the amount of energy and time, um, the sleepless nights, everything that would have gone into fighting the case, Mm-hmm. Um, building the nonprofit, building the business to support the nonprofit. Um, how did you even find, how did you strike a balance? So, because you still had to be a mm-hmm. wife, you still mm-hmm. had to be a mother. Mm-hmm. Um, how did I still, you find that? And balance? I still had, and I still had a full-time job. And you still had a full-time job. <laughs> I did. Uh, another miracle. You know, it just had to be another miracle because I, I, I'm the kind of person that I fall asleep at about nine o'clock at night, no matter what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> but it, even if I fall asleep at nine o'clock at night, sometimes I wake up at three. It's not that that unusual for me to wake up at three and then get busy. 
and start doing things. And that's most of my book was written. It's like between the hours of 3 a.m. and 7 a.m. But I, you know, I did a lot uh, at that, that type of thing where I, you know, would just fit it in. And, um, you know, my husband and I worked in the business together, the typesetting business, and also the nonprofit together. So we were together. There was a lot of togetherness there. And, um, but, you know, we, we only had six weeks before all of that happened. And then we didn't really know each other as husband and wife uh, for years, you know, for years afterwards, because we were just consumed by all of the things that we were doing with vocal. It, it was extremely time consuming. So, yeah, we probably didn't get a lot of, <laughs> a lot of, uh, you know, me time kind of thing. The me yeah. time was sort of a, just more of a change rather than something, you know, like uh, that's like a vacation. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you, 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 you do what's necessary at whatever, whatever level you have to do it at when you're in situations like that. Um, I think of it as hailing, like it's hailing when it's hailing, you're waiting for it to stop hailing, but you know, it, you have to realize that there's this thing going on in your life and it's hailing. So, so some of the normal kinds of, 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 you know, rules are kind of out the window. You just, you, you wait for it to stop hailing. Wow. I mean, Susan, this, <laughs> this whole conversation has been so inspirational. Um, and, and this is, for me, this is what Imperfectly Human is about. Um, it's really just about showing, the, showing our humanity and the fact that mm-hmm. God just accepts us for who we are. And all he yes. wants us to do is show up. He doesn't yes. want us to be perfect. He doesn't want us to um, appear with any form of pretense or, you know, mm-hmm. there is people believe, you know, people talk about sacrifice and all of these things. There is nothing in this world that we can sacrifice that would amount to what has been sacrificed for us. So there right. is nothing that we can give to God that would equate to what he has given to us. So right. The only thing he wants for us is just to show up in faith. Yes. And your story is just even the times when you say, now, God, I need you to prove to me that you are real mm-hmm. because this is too much. In those times, it's, you know, it just shows that how faithful God is. And he just wants you to, to be to show up, even when you're saying no, I don't believe in you, but I need, but if you, you know, if you do exist, prove it to me. He's, Mm -hmm. he's taking that little glimmer of hope, Mm -hmm. that little bit that is still there. And that's why I love the, the, the the scripture that says faith as small as a mustard seed, because Uh that's how little faith he needs for him to work in your life and prove how Mm -hmm. big of a God he is. And your story just, really just it it really shines and you know i call these episodes where i do the interviews time to shine and Uh that is exactly what your story does it shines it tells just how faithful god is and how god can take a bad situation 
and bring so much positive and good and change, um, business, all sorts of things out of something that was meant for your harm. Um, he took it mm-hmm. and he turned it around and made it yes. something great. Um, so I can't wait to read the book. Uh-huh. And then we're going to have another conversation. I think <laughs> I know you will want another conversation because once you get to those last chapters, you're going to want to hear about it from okay. from, from my mouth. <laughs> so I am pro- I am now promising the audience we will be having a part 2 to this conversation. Um I've kept Susan on for long enough. I did promise her only half an hour and we've gone over. So I really appreciate Susan taking the time and Susan thank you so much for you know coming on to to share your story and mm-hmm. I can't wait to read the book. I can't wait to come back and have another conversation. Um I know we have conversations by email in the background mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. you know I've really grown fond of the conversations that we have and just how mm-hmm. open and kind and transparent you've been just over email you you didn't even know me but you were so willing to to just open up to me and I I really appreciate that it it just shows so much of your heart and um that's something that we don't see enough of today so thank you very much thank you I really appreciate the opportunity to share it's it's great it's wonderful that you provide this opportunity that's great so guys i want to thank you um we have come to the end of the episode as i as i've said i promise that there will be a part 2 to this i'm going to read susan's book and then we're going to schedule in another call and we're going to we, we're going to talk about those final chapters because i'm intrigued now i want to know more <laughs> so um but until next week um i've been mr daily this has been the imperfectly human podcast be good to each other and um take care of yourselves and Be faithful with everything that you've been given stewardship over and I will catch you next week. God bless. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Imperfectly Human podcast. Remember to subscribe and share this podcast. You can do this on your favorite streaming platforms.